Good morning, and welcome back to Fresh from the Margins, the new releases podcast. Uh, I am B. Peterson, I am your host, and with me as always is... Anna Campion. Hi, everyone. All right. We're back. It's been a bit. Yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah. How have the last few weeks been for you? Oh, fine. Oh, fine. Yeah, Yeah, I'm home for a bit. What was the weather like in NYC? Did it Uh, get hit that hard? Pretty icky. But overall, fine. Um, and I've been in uh, Virginia with my parents for the past week and will be for another okay. couple weeks. And it's uh, currently rainy and icky outside. All right. Um, so no no power outages or anything like no, that? No, thankfully not. Nothing of the, yeah. nothing of the sort. All, uh, all hot water is still good to go and such. Well... That's that is good to hear. We mm-hmm. had we had snow in Washington and we had more snow than you like you okay, so I live in a desert mm-hmm. in, in Washington. Um so uh precipitation is something that happens once in a blue moon. Right. And we got fourteen inches of snow in a day, which is unheard of. Right. And it was hilarious because school wasn't out mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was all online and teachers just worked from home. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, no, I had, I had, I had a lovely little break. I got a lot of Oozu in, um, I got a lot of Wong Kar Wai in. Nice. Um, and, and then, uh, the other day I watched the entire, almost the entire, uh, filmography of Lucrecia Martel. So who, um, myself and uh, my co-host Harold are doing a podcast on. And so a bunch of her stuff was leaving streaming services and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do all of it one day. There you go. And I did. And well, I'll talk about it on that podcast. Excellent. (laughs) Um, but, uh, uh, yeah. So we've been away for a few weeks, but, um, because I didn't want all the films that came out in that time to just go completely on completely ignored. Um, I decided, well, why don't we do three films instead of just one? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're doing. I finally get to do timestamps in a podcast because we'll, we'll it's be very thrilling. Th- it's very thrilling. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, th- we're going to be reviewing three different films today, um, each from w- one week, um, of that we missed or this past week. And, uh, yeah, those three films are Little Big Women. Um, preparations to be together for an unknown period of time and Nomadland. And uh, why don't why don't we just get started with the first one? Uh, Little Big Women is a Taiwanese film from uh, director Joseph Chen Chie Su. Um, this is his uh, feature directorial debut, though he also directed a short film version of this film. Um, the the uh, Mandarin or Taiwanese uh, title of the film is called Solitary Taste, and it's about a uh, large, uh, uh, wealthy family in Taiwan. And uh, the there's the matriarch, and she runs a restaurant. And the film uh, portrays the fallout um, and the various family interactions that occur when the patriarch of the family, who's been somewhat estranged for an extended period of time, uh, does pass away. And it's the, 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 I believe it's ex-wife, um, who is the matriarch and then her three daughters and their families that it's Mm -hmm. just, it's how they all react and it's all builds up to the eventual final funeral. 
Um, yeah. And so it's in those in those weeks. That's the film. Uh, how how did you find Little Big Women? Um, I really liked this film. I thought um, it was a like I thought it was moving. Um, I mm-hmm. I enjoyed sort of my time with the characters. Um, I wish I there I feel like there were a couple things where I just kept getting confused um, at certain points. And that could just be because, you know, it's in, um, you know, obviously the whole thing's in Mandarin. Obviously I had subtitles on, but I don't speak Mandarin. And there are certain um, like Taiwanese customs that I'm not, you know, familiar with necessarily. So I am always interested when I watch foreign films, especially foreign films from non, you know, quote unquote, Western code word for like imperialist countries like i can watch you know a film that takes place in germany and be pretty pretty familiar with like a lot of the cultural situations but when i watch a film um particularly uh that's set in like an asian country there's a lot of um there's just a lot of sort of cultural norms that i'm not familiar with uh which isn't a bad thing or anything but um like Uh, it's kind of one of those things where I would really love to sort of know, like, I'd love to be able to talk to someone, like, from Taiwan and be like, is it normal for, like, you know, people to, like, not sign divorce agreements for 20 years? Like, is that something that happens a lot? Is that something that doesn't happen a lot? Like, and, you know, kind of, like, stuff like this or things like, what does the healthcare system look like in Taiwan? Like, I'd be curious to hear about that. Um, and just kind of stuff like that. But, um, like, uh, yeah, overall I thought it was really good. There were just a couple of things where, like, I got really confused in a lot of the flashback scenes because I thought that the actor who, the actress who played young Lynn, who is the, the aforementioned matriarch, sort of the main character, the woman who played her as a young woman to me, looked a lot like the actress who played the older sister, the oldest sister, um, Clementine's mother, and also looked a lot like the actress who played uh, Tsai, the father's, like, you know, sort of long-term partner. Um, So, like, I... Like, the first time it happened, I was like, wait a second, who are these people? And then then it registered to me as a flashback. But there wasn't, um, sometimes it was just so abrupt that it was hard for me to, like, keep track of, like, who exactly was who. Got it. Um, So this is the point where I realized that there were flashbacks in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... I guess that that kind of segues into I particularly in the first half of this film I found at some point kind of losing my grip. I I did not realize that there were flashbacks in this movie. There um, were probably in total like 3 or 4. Okay. Sort of sprinkled like one per act kind of thing. Um it's like the f- and uh yeah, it was the there wasn't a really good, like, um, it, it felt like there wasn't quite enough difference to me in, like, the clothing or the makeup or, like, the tint of the camera or anything to, like, signify that it was a flashback. But again, okay. I think that's also partially because I'm not familiar with, like, 
you know, Taiwanese culture in, you know, 2020 versus, you know, 1980 or something, you know what I mean? Sure. All right. Well, um, okay. So this is, I guess that's going to kind of color uh, 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 my <laughs> interpretation of this film. I, I really quite enjoyed myself with Little Big Women. Um, it's, I, I love films that know how to uh handle large large casts and typically when they're specifically like with when there are a lot of people in a room um this is something that uh uh, lucrecia martel um who i know was watching her films and her films have this amazing sense of how to stage very crowded rooms of people and that was something that i was also in here now there's um and where you can where everyone in the frame is reacting differently and you can you can uh and you can see it it's not off it's not in the center it's always off on the side but there's there was a lot of uh uh great great moments uh for that this film is in uh 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio so it's a very it's a very grandiose uh picture very very clean digital photography um and yeah, no, this, it's, um, and I, what I was going to say is like, while I didn't, particularly in the first half, it took me a bit to get my bearings as to who everyone was and what all the situations were. Um, I was really, I, I really didn't really find myself that being too much of a detriment to me in that I really just kind of enjoyed being swept away, uh, by this, by this epic, um, in reference to like the idea of like customs and the systems and the specificity of Taiwanese culture. So I am not Taiwanese. It's through marriage, but I have some family, um, uh, who, who is from, from Taiwan and, um, and over the past few years of the, so I've been able to, uh, have conversations about like Taiwanese cinema, um, uh, specifically like, like Ang Lee's earlier work, um, and, um, the work of Edward Yang, like a brighter summer day is one of my favorite films. Uh, that's, that's a Taiwanese film. And so there's a lot of stuff that I've learned from them that I was then able to see, um, in here in terms of in terms of uh not necessarily like the specific actions like in a funeral procession but just like the general like ways of people communicate with each other they've they've talked about how there's the 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 etiquette and so forth and so um but yeah this this film is is a it's a film about grief and what i really loved is that it's a film that by the end its message was is like different people are going to grieve very differently mm-hmm. and that's totally valid like that there's a there's a character that comes in about halfway through the film um we realize that um that uh the patriarch was having an affair of sorts um with with another woman and and what's so amazing about this movie is it's a film about it's like her her experience is just as valid as everyone else's in in this family and where the with the climax of the film um we 
I, I won't say what it is, even though I don't really care about spoilers. It's just that the film ultimately confirms is like, this is just as much about her grief as it is this family's that we've been spending our time with. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, no, the ending of this film, ugh, just waterworks yeah. for me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> was, me too. Uh, there's, there's a moment when I'll just say someone starts singing and you just like, oh no. And you're, yeah. And you just, it's, it's weepy. It's, it's melodramatic and saccharine maybe, mm-hmm. but, but it worked. Uh, if if I had one critique of this film, and it's actually something that I complimented earlier, is I think the cinematography in having that really clean, very uh, uh, grandiose look, it took away in some of the moments away from a bit of the intimacy. Um, and I, maybe this is just because I've spent so much time lately with uh, like the work of Ozu, whose cinematography is literally like down to earth. Like his camera is just on the ground, letting people interact in those spaces. Where here, there's a very careful attention to framing. Um, uh, uh, there is a very deep the 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 this you can see very far back into the frame. There's lots of detail, and it felt almost as if we were. Or, it's it kind of felt stagey almost as if everything was being staged and i appreciate when films do have that really good attention to framing i'm just not sure if it was if it totally if it it made me the melodramatic elements of this film feel a bit more staged as opposed to a bit more naturalistic that's a choice that joseph made and I think it works in some instances really well, and in others, I think it it made me feel a little distant from the characters. There's one moment in particular where um, I think the oldest uh, 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 daughter, uh, Wang King, who's played by Xie Ying Xuan, and where she kind of storms off, and it, we're pre- treated to this very, very extreme wide shot. And she's just kind of a tiny little piece in there. And it's a very gorgeously framed image. And I just felt com- like a completely disconnected from her. Compare that to a shot, I think it's earlier in the film, where the oldest daughter, she had cancer and it was in remission. And then it's come back. And her character, I felt, was the heart of the film for me. Mm-hmm. I connected with her the most. Um, I Her performance was my favorite in the film. And... There's a moment where she just kind of um, is with uh, another man on like a out on like the shore on a shore and she just kind of breaks down and we're just sitting there just up close with her face and just watching her face go through all of these emotions. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that that's where something where that careful attention to framing really, really worked and with the blocking of of uh, Mm -hmm. the other man in the frame, whereas and sometimes it felt a bit austere, a bit distant. Yeah. Yeah. but that's just me. Um, it's your your mileage may vary with with the presentation. I think it was very nice looking. I just felt that it, it might have detracted from the emotion at, at times. But I, in general, yeah, great movie. I appreciated how polished it was, and I do want to say I loved all the music. I thought the music mm-hmm. was very uh, cute. I thought it was really good, and I think um, this movie did a really good job of dress addressing like different tones and like i think it did a really good job with different tonal shifts like because it was kind of all over the place like there were some really funny moments and some really like joyful moments and some like you know as we've said we both kind of like cried but i think it handled those shifts really well which i can always appreciate um in a script 
Yeah, no, it's it's I mean, it's it's kind of what happens when you have a large family gathering mm-hmm. is that emotions can kind of shift on a dime. There's one uh, great scene later in the film where um, kind of like all the baggage is coming out. And there are so many like the way that the that the mother is like acting towards her different children and the way that new as a new information comes to light the emotion in the room just completely changes over and over and over again and Mm -hmm. all the actors are selling it really well and and yeah it never feels jarring it just in in it is jarring but in in a natural way as opposed to feeling this feels awkward it it's not it's it's just a family dynamic yeah yeah, I liked it, and it's also on Netflix. And um, that's right. Yeah, it is I a found Netflix. it to also be a very accessible foreign film. Like, I think even though I talked about like there are certain things that I kind of had questions about, like that didn't necessarily detract from my experience of the film's sort of like messaging and general emotional weight. It just kind of you know is something you know that that it always happens when you watch foreign film where you're kind of like, huh, I wonder. Like, you know, I know how this would look in my culture, but I'm not sure how it would look in a different culture. But I don't think that that detracts from the experience at all. I find this very accessible. Um, I think this is a good one. Yeah, no, this is this is a this is a good gateway into a, a, a international cinema. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And then afterwards, go watch A Brighter Summer Day. It's a four hour film. Talk about tone changes. Uh, that that movie's an epic, and it's it, yeah, it's one of my favorite. But anyway, uh, uh, speaking of international cinema, uh, let's hop on over from uh, Taiwan over to uh, Budapest, Hungary, yeah, and yeah, and let's talk about uh, Lily Horvat's preparations to be together for an unknown period of time. How about you do the summary for this one? Yeah, I mean, so basically, uh, we're following Marta, who, um, I is like one of the most beautiful women I've ever watched on screen. And we'll talk about that. She looks like if Maggie Gyllenhaal and um, Felicity Jones had a kid, she's really gorgeous. And she is basically, we meet her as she goes to Budapest and is, I guess like she's waiting at um, this it's like it's not it's not the victory bridge i'm forgetting what it's called but it's a very famous bridge in budapest and she's waiting 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 time passes and then she's we see her call a hospital she's like hey please connect me to dr dr janos drexler he doesn't pick up she goes to the hospital she finds him in the parking lot and she's like what the hell, you were supposed to meet me, you know, today at 5 p.m. And he's like, oh, I've never seen you in my life. And then she faints. And that's the opening of the movie. And so you're kind, and so it basically follows her because she basically uproots her life. She's a very famous, we later find out she's a very famous and successful neurosurgeon in, um, in the States, in the United States, in New Jersey. Um, And she has basically uprooted her life to come to Budapest Back to Budapest. Back to Budapest, yes, uh, because she's originally from there to um, be with this guy who now claims to have never met her. And throughout the film, we're kind of trying to figure out, and she's trying to figure out, like, have I actually met him? Like, did I make this up? Like, is this like a hallucination? And, um, or like, is he gaslighting gaslighting me? me? And, And like, what's what's going on there? And or is he even real? <laughs> yeah. And so there's a lot of um 
so yeah so it's a it's an it's uh not a ton happens necessarily in this film but i but it does a really good job of character work i think with marta and um i think by the end of the film like i don't i think the ending like I probably would have written it differently, <clears throat> but that doesn't mean it's not good. It's just, I don't think, like, the actual film is better than its conclusion. Um, okay. Which isn't, to me, which isn't normally something that happens. Um, and not that the conclusion was, like, disappointing or anything like that. It's just kind of like, oh, like, that's it? Like, that's what happened? And it's kind of like, you spent so much time, like, spiraling with this character in a way that um it just kind of felt like oh this we didn't have to do all this <laughs> that's kind of how it felt but i thought it was i um do you know was this shot on film i'm i'm not sure as to how this was shot all i know is that it is gorgeous yeah it it had a very it looked very filmy to me like it looked very i don't know if this was done in post or what but there was a, a texture to the film that you don't right. see in most um sort of like digital uh filmmaking these days so it looked i mean i don't know if it was but whoever did it did a great job it's a lot of really mm. um really nice like muted like greens and grays uh that throughout the film that i really liked um so yeah that was kind of my experience of it i don't know about you yeah no this is this is a a, a great example of ambiguous storytelling mm -hmm. um that is until the end when it just tells you what happened yeah but yeah no so these it's it's like um have you seen the before trilogy or some of it right the richard linklater oh, yeah, Ethan yeah, Hawk, yeah yeah, Delpit. yeah, yeah. Duh, duh, sorry okay so it's like imagine if um at the end of before sunrise there's like okay we're gonna come back and we're gonna meet here in six months um and uh, so imagine if they did if if ethan hawk did come back and there was julie delpy and he was like hey and julie delpy was like i don't I, know who you are yeah it's like so that but we're plunged in there without the all the before sunrise mm -hmm. stuff we never see uh what happened back in at this medical conference where they supposedly met mm -hmm. um and where they supposedly fell in love it's and so we're just following um this woman who is just super confused and she just like decides like she runs out of the out of airport security she's like you know what i'm gonna stay here i'm gonna i'm i'm staying here and she's and she gets a just a completely rundown apartment as opposed to a really nice one that she could afford because you know she's an incredible neurosurgeon she's quite wealthy but she gets the poor one because it has the view of the bridge she starts to stalk the guy and so you're just like this whole time it's just this very moody atmospheric piece where it's just like am i stalking him is he gaslighting me am i making all of this up like it's there's it's just it's got that that tension that just that carries you through the whole thing and she begins to work at uh the a local hospital and she is totally outclassing all of the other doctors there and they know it and they're a little annoyed by it um and what the film becomes is as it as it goes along it's just it's about like refamiliarizing yourself with with a, a place that you've you've almost forgotten and kind of thing. And we're just reintegrating with, with the people there and, and with the, with the environment. And it's just, 
the aesthetics of this film are just off the chart. Lily Horvat is just the craft here is so precise. Um, the sound design in certain moments really, really caught me off guard. And then, yeah, and then everything with this with this Doctor Janos um, with is who is also giving a very good performance because mm-hmm. because it's one thing to play someone who is who is um, who is confused. It's another thing to to play a person who could be gaslighting you or could be. Uh, uh, being stalked or could be a hallucination. Not real. Like yeah. <laughs> he's playing ambiguous really, really mm-hmm. well. Um, and there's and there's there's this there's this one moment of where they're walking on opposite sides of the streets and the and and they just start walking. They see each other and they're walking forward together, and then they start walking backwards together. It's just these these tiny little moments that are peppered all throughout this film that just give it such an intimate, almost sensual quality to it. Um, there is there is one very I mean there is a sex scene in this film, and it's sex scenes in movies are interesting to me because so often they're they're just not interesting, <laughs> and and this film. In this film, when we got to the when we got to the sex scene, every little moment was I was fascinated by it mm-hmm. because like I'm not what is actually happening here and uh, and with all the little things about uh, removing clothes and stuff, there are just so many tiny moments and yeah, and then when the film does resolve, I mean, I <laughs> some other critics uh, have said it's just like. I was my was losing my mind and I needed some sort of resolution and that that I understand if for me I the resolution that we got it wasn't that it was unsatisfying I just I just don't know I just don't think it matched could have ended yeah I just don't think that the way it felt like um it it felt like the writer ran out of like creative energy at the end and like went for like the it's not even the simplest explanation which is no, what's annoying kind of you know what i mean <laughs> cuz like if it was just the simplest explanation then i would totally get that um but mm. it's it's like a sort of like a convoluted super weird but not it it's like it's like a convoluted ending but not a complex ending if that makes sense mm-hmm. so it's like the movie has so many layers and is so complex and like we get to know this Marta really well and you know she's a really interesting character and the ending just doesn't match up with how well the rest of the film was developed in my opinion like it the ending felt like just what the writer put in is like hey this is like a potential ending and then there was no for whatever reason no one went back and like fixed it Mm -hmm. Or like made it, you know, sort of up to yeah. the quality of the rest of the film. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my said, reading. While the ultimate like answer, um, while the ultimate like answer to the question of what is really going on here, while I found that to be a little underwhelming, I really did like the actual like ending to the movie, like the last scene, because it infuses back that just kind of everything's a little off kilter here. Uh, things are just we end with a very very strange image that I was yeah. just like if this is the last shot this is a really weird last shot and I like that and, yeah there's and it, definitely and it does end there. 
there's definitely even in the moments that you know are quote-unquote confirmed to be true like as far as we know in the diegesis it's like there is like a weirdness to it um which you know again it's just like um it's just i mean i thought it was a really interesting film and i did really enjoy my experience watching the film but at the end it's like it's one thing to leave it kind of like weird and ambiguous at the end, but and it's another to try and give it some sort of ending that just is to is make it weird. a concrete story. Yeah, but yeah. and then it's just kind of like weird and convoluted for the sake of being weird and convoluted, you know? Yeah, I, 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 I talked about this uh, when we were talking about finding Ohana. Is I really like when a movie delves full into a very specific like vocation Mm -hmm. or or aspect and what this film has is we i it's so specific into the terms of like this is how medical procedures work and we Mm -hmm. get to see medical procedures going on oh i hated i hated that scene i had to look away i don't oh yeah with the i don't it's very gory um so it's not that gory. We do see part of a brain, but it's, like I mean, a gory is a strong word, but I just don't. I just can't like with like cutting skin open and surgeries. Like I just sure. can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, it's interesting because normally I'd agree with you. Like, um, and like I've been watching in our weekly Wiseman, the Wiseman, our my Wiseman podcast. Wiseman shows like we see the docking of a tail in full detail, like a mm. dog's tail, mm. like. That I did not need to see. So I guess maybe I've been desensitized a tad bit and we're seeing like a, just a, a medical procedure with relative like tastefulness. Like we can kind of see in there, but it's not like gory. It's just, it's, it's just very frank. Like yeah. this is what it actually looks like. Yeah. And so I appreciated that. And then also in terms of specificity there, uh, uh, the doctor, Janos Drexler has a book that comes out mm-hmm. and there's a book conference and, from like the passages that we get, I always appreciate when a book in a movie actually sounds like it would be interesting to read. Yeah, and and I, and I did like that when this is because like ah oh, that's not a real book. That makes me a little sad that that isn't a real book because I might be interested in reading that about how what if it's a if it's a book on brain surgery, but it's but it's a book it's an actual a literary work as opposed to just a, a textbook kind of thing and talking about. F- surgeries that went wrong and the kind of like the ethics and the how that affects the surgeon and kind of stuff like that so uh, so many details in this movie that i loved um and the craft is is pretty impeccable yeah and yeah and uh uh, natasha stork yes uh, natasha stork who's the lead is you're right absolutely gorgeous i mean one of the most magnetic magnetic screen presence one of the most gorgeous women i've ever had the who you know, I've had the privilege to see Grace my screen. I mean, <laughs> yeah. really, like the the sort of first shot of her. It's a very close up shot of her, kind of like explaining like the lead up to mm-hmm. um like what's kind about to happen. Like, and yeah. it, I mean, I, I was just very incredible, incredible. Um, really liked her. <laughs> I'll I'll say that if you really liked um the ambiguity in this film i would then recommend if you wanted to go even harder into it uh the german film from last year i was at home but Mm -hmm. that movie is so strange like i think what like one of the central elements is chill 
little images of children reenacting Hamlet. But that has nothing to do with the rest. I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure what the movie's about. It's a very, if talk about just very dense material. Yeah. This this, but yeah. I I I very much enjoy. Also, uh, the title "Preparations to Be Together for an Unknown Period of Time." great title mm-hmm. um it does lend you to believe that it's going to be about covid though but it's not because <laughs> um, yeah. it's like a covid type preparation yeah. to be together for an unknown period of time hello that is that is the present situation mm-hmm. um but it's it has nothing to do with that but and it has everything to do with uh natasha stork just being the most radiant screen presence yes really really awesome yeah i i like this movie i recommend it all right, um, and then uh, that brings us to the the third and final film that we'll be reviewing today, which is um, it's not really on the margins right now because it's no, one of the front runners yeah, for best picture, uh, best actress. Currently, like it's nominate Chloe Zhao is like one of the most nominated people ever in a single awards season. And was um, she the director of this? Yes, Cl- okay. this is Chloe Zhao's Nomadland. Yeah. Um, it's the third film in a quote-unquote trilogy of sorts of hers of the modern American West, mm-hmm. um, follow-up to The Rider uh, mm. from 2018, okay. which was a follow-up to the 2015 film, 2015 film Songs of My Brothers Taught Me. Oh, and, okay. I didn't, I didn't realize. And uh, what... And so what this film is, is it stars uh, Frances McDormand as Fern, though there is a moment early in the film where she shows her driver's license and Mm -hmm. it's literally just Frances McDormand's driver's license. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I think they kept it pretty close to Yeah, everyone is essentially played versions of themselves, if not literally playing themselves in in this movie. Uh, And it's, uh, Fern is a... Um, an older woman uh, whose town of Empire Nevada um, was uh, shut down um, because the, the the mining plant or that was this it was a mining town and the mine shut down and so everyone had to leave and instead of re- trying to relocate to a house or some other uh, permanent location she packs the stuff up in a van and she becomes a nomad uh, living in her van which she calls Vanguard and driving around the country getting work and it's a film it's a film primarily about grief and overcoming grief but through it we are get to see this culture that is on the margins of on the fringes of of society of these nomads of these people who are without a a house but are this community of of migrant workers essentially um um yeah, I mean, I think it's also a film about aging and, like, how American right. society, like, thinks of people who are aging and sort of, like, how people... the wind. Yeah, and, like, how people who age, like, really are kind of, like, you know, you, you get to the point where, you know, you realize that you are sort of, like, a, a burden to other people or that is your perception of what is happening and um no one wants you to work and no one wants you to go anywhere and yada yada and um you know it's because i mean pretty much everyone with the exception of maybe half a dozen people in the film are uh you know at least in their early 60s at least 
if not sure, yeah. if not older. There there are a couple young young people that we Yeah, that that's we that's why film. I say with the exception of maybe, you know, six or seven people um who are scattered throughout the film. Um yeah, so I mean, it's uh it's very rare to have a movie that just like stars a ton of old people, <laughs> like which is cool. Like you don't really see it all that often. And so um yeah, it's I mean, I loved this movie. It made me cry so hard. It made me laugh so hard. It is one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen in my life. I love this movie. Yeah. Um, I had a weird uh, uh, experience with this film because the first time I saw it, I actually kind of rejected it. Um, and we'll get to why in a minute. But then this, then I was like, you know what? I, I must be missing something, right? Like that this film just kind of made me feel uncomfortable and then i saw it a second time and while there are still a few issues that i had with it it's like no okay i get it and and then i saw it a third time um and i was like yeah no this this movie is freaking incredible yeah um and it's yeah and what i guess the issue that i had and is and it's kind of like the backlash to the movie that every oscar or best picture front runner gets is that it's it's portrayal of Amazon in the film. And, mm-hmm. and to me, it felt weird that we, that like whenever we see Amazon, people are always smiling and happy and like, mm-hmm. Hey, let's do some stretches. Um, when people talk about it outside of the plant is like, Oh yeah, great pay kind of thing. And it, it's strange because we don't really ever get, I mean, we we have very few mainstream uh, cinematic depictions of Amazon, mm-hmm. and it's 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 worthy bringing up that when you have that opportunity to bring it up in a movie, and something that is not addressed is how Amazon is abusing its workforce. Well, I think I mean number one, of course, but I think that um, I think that the I mean, I had a sort of gut reaction to, I was like, oh, not Amazon, but, um, like initially, <laughs> but I think that, you know, um, like, I don't know. And, and maybe just because like, I've known people who have done like kind of seasonal work and stuff at, uh, you know, places that hire seasonal workers, not exactly Amazon, but things that are kind of like in that realm that sort of like Fern interacts with throughout the film, you know, like kind of literally migrating around, you know, basically the Wild West, like the modern Wild West and sort of like going to different places that hire seasonal workers. Is that like, um, I mean, yeah, they totally are abusing the workforce, but I also think that like, I think what they did a good job of is like, I mean, that it's like i guess like if you buy in if you're going in like and 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 this happened to me like as i went on like in going further into fern's perspective and also seeing like her doing like pretty hard manual labor at like the beet harvest and like mm-hmm. you know and stuff like that and do, and being like you know uh, a a like bathroom attendant at the badlands national park and stuff where you kind of get like oh, this is probably the best job she has all year. Like, I mean, like, in terms of just, like, the, um, like, okay, she's not, like, cleaning a bathroom. Like, she doesn't have to pay to park her van. 
Apparently she gets very good pay. It's not super hard on her physically. So it's like, you kind of understand that like, it, like, I don't know. Like to me, I kind of understood why it was, well, one, I don't think it was portrayed necessarily like hyper positively. And I doubled, and I double checked. I was like, I'm not watching this on Amazon Prime, right? And I wasn't. So I was, but I don't think that it's portrayed in a, super hyper positive way like at no point does her and say yeah amazon's my favorite or anything like that but and like yeah people are smiley but it also seems like like that also just kind of seems like the vibe of all the migrant workplaces where like you know everyone's kind of like like even there's a scene um sort of uh where at the end of the beet harvest there's a guy showing off his confederate flag tattoo and talking about how he's going to get an entire sleeve dedicated to the georgia bulldogs But he's like, you know, you know, he and the crew are like eating pizza and smiling, which like, I mean, that's sort of an interesting conundrum in and of itself. But my point being that like, it seems like there's a very friendly culture and sort of that goes on in this in this community of people who are kind of like migrant seasonal workers. So I didn't, I don't necessarily, I mean, like, I think it's it's valid and I'd be interested to see like if, how, if Amazon like gave a lot of money to this production, but I do think they did did give permission. I mean, Francis McDormand, I like, I did some research and Francis McDormand like called up Mm -hmm. Amazon essentially is like, Hey, can we film here? And Mm -hmm. so she got permission. Yeah. But I also, so, I mean, they probably didn't want to like, you know, on Amazon, but I, I also don't think it was necessarily, you know, like I said, I don't think it was hyper positive. But yeah, and and it's it's something that ultimately I I, I had a com- uh, an extended conversation with Twitter on on uh, with a, with another critic about it, and the I think what Chloe Zhao's doing here is the the focus is not on the Amazon and on the beet harvest mm-hmm. and on the national park is the focus is. Because I mean, there are there are plenty of stories that could be told. I'm sure about how these people are being abused and cast and and cast aside and um, just completely forgotten about, and that this and it could be a very depressing and um, damning film. And what it's Chloe Zhao and having seen her other films, what Chloe Zhao seems to be attempting to do with 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 these stories is to focus less on the um surrounding political context um and really just let's just spend some time with these people and that's really what i'm what i'm focused on is just like these people and their interactions with each other and their 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 attempts to thrive despite their disenfranchisement um the film isn't about the disenfranchisement it's about the people and and them refusing like having, to be torn yeah. down and completely dismissed yeah. uh, uh linda may and swanky are two uh, uh older women who play themselves mm. in beautiful performances mm, swanky um in this swanky particularly has a monologue um in in there that's just and the payoff to it later is just absolutely mm-hmm. that was one of the moments that just really makes you makes you weep mm-hmm. um but the the focus is is on is on these these humans and just them going about as being 
a tiny a tiny little piece in this grand this grand wilderness this grand system and the focus is like well instead of instead of pushing their stories aside to focus on look at how the system is treating them it's about like let's just spend some time with these people Mm -hmm. and and so i guess that brings me to my one critique that i still have of this movie and i think this film might be more interesting if it was about linda may or swanky because what we have here is francis mcdormand who is giving a an astoundingly naturalistic performance here there is no artifice here with with Fern. Um, just incredible work. Like Frances McDormand, she's just she just can't give a bad performance. Mm-mm. Everything she's ever done, from no matter how broad it is or how naturalistic it is, she's she's giving it. She's doing ten out of ten, mm-hmm. and this might very well be one of, if not her best performances. Mm-hmm. And yet, I'm just thinking is like the first time I watched it. And I was just like, so why are we watching her, this relative, this very wealthy, well-off woman, when there are people like Linda May um, and Swanky that we could be following full time? Because I'm, I'm almost more interested in their stories. And the reason that I that this kind of was jarring to me is because the writer and songs my brothers taught me, her Chloe Zhao's two previous films are comprised completely of non-actors uh, uh, playing mm-hmm. themselves. And so it felt a little odd to then see this film. It's an interesting dis- it's an interesting choice. Well, not to continue to focus on the on the people themselves. Well, I have a couple rebuttals. Number 1, like I don't think any other I don't think there's any other working actor who could have pulled this off the way Frances McDormand pulled this off? Because I think that she, I I think that she is in a different league than a lot of than even like for example like and I mean, don't get me wrong, I love her very much. Meryl Streep is a movie star, right? Mm-hmm. And and a phenomenal actress, one of the greatest actors to ever grace our screens. Meryl Streep could not have pulled this off, not even a little <laughs> bit. She couldn't have. Um. Because you'd be so distracted by it being, that's Meryl Streep kind of thing. I think, I think the movie needed Frances McDormand because I think you needed this central character who is sort of not quite used, is is like still relatively new to this lifestyle. I think that's what you needed in order to buy into it or else to me it's going to read like a documentary. Like, I think you needed that sort of like grounding, you know, fictionalized character in order to get the really amazing performances that you got out of Swanky and Linda May and Bob Wells and, you know, the guy who is, do we know, is Dave real? Or I think Dave's Oh, no, that's actor. David Strathairn. Oh, well. Yeah, that's David Strathairn. That's that's uh, the that's uh, uh, Voss from uh, The Bourne Ultimatum. That's Edward Armour oh, on Good Night and Good Luck. Okay, that's, thank you. Yeah, no, he's, yes. he, he's, he's a character he's, actor, and he, I was going to bring up, I think gives his best performance in this movie. He the, is I loved lovely. him. He's I loved him. He's one of my him. favorite. He's one of my favorite actors. Mm-hmm. Good Night and Good Luck is one of my favorite films. That is, and, I haven't seen that movie in a while, but now that you say that, I do remember him being in that, yeah. and I do love that and movie. He's, an, he's great in Sneakers uh, from 92. Mm-hmm. 
um, and and in a league of their own, mm-hmm. also from ninety two. And he is underrated as just being a very very sexy man. He is. Um, he's a good looking guy. Um. So yeah, I think to me it felt that had this been a more like had this been more like having just kind of people play themselves. I think we needed to follow Francis McDormand's. Uh, you know, Fern's, like, struggles as sort of, like, a newbie at this in order to, like, really get, like... Be integrated? Those, uh, yeah, to sort of, like... And I think, um, you know, this is just so... This is such a foreign concept to so many people. The idea of, like, not living in one place and just living out of a van. And obviously, like, a lot of Instagram influencers are popularizing mm. it now, which is why this I think... This is not that. This is this not, is not that. To that. This is not that. And I think that... Um, so I think that there needed to be an actor who could do this at the center of it so that everyone, you know, around that actor can really express their short stories and shine and so and so that we can sort of you know fern is an every woman sort of thing right and yeah. i think that i think that's why that needed to be there to to me so i guess my response to that would be is that having seen the writer and songs my brothers taught me there was no such character and the films worked just as well um that i that they were able to still form like fully functional characters is in the rider we have this um native american um young native american man who wants nothing more than to be um a a rodeo star and then he has a traumatic brain injury and can't um and can't he will die if he keeps doing what he loves and that's based on the actual guy um, that that happens to. And in Songs My Brothers Taught Me, we've got, it's more of an ensemble, but this young girl who is just playing herself, her dad has just recently died. Um, and yeah, I, I just felt that there, that I, 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 I get the, the idea of having the everyman. It's just that I can see a version of this film that focuses just on Linda May and her going about her life. And, and it's, and it can be just as interesting. I think we might just end up disagreeing on that. Yeah. <laughs> because. Which is um, fine. It happens. But I mean, that's not to say that I don't love this movie because I do. And mm-hmm. I think that Francis McDormand's work here is sublime. And, but yeah, um, back to, yeah. So Dave, David Strathairn plays Dave and um, his son, Tay is actually his son. And I was going to say they family. look exactly alike. Yeah. Yeah, so the that's the thing is you go through the credits in this movie and everyone is just playing themselves. Yeah. Um you you look at the name of the character and the name of the person, it's the same. Yeah. Pretty um, much pretty much across the board. And yeah, no there's there's so many there's and and yeah, and but you talked about it of tr- avoiding feeling like a do- like a documentary. Um the there are there are moments in here that that definitely help that along um the the music in this mm-hmm. film um is just this lovely piano music it's not an actual score it's um it's the music was taken it's was used it's music by this artist that they used for the film oh interesting ludovico eonaudis is the name of the pianist um or the composer and his stuff is great uh there are moments of diegetic music in this film that 
There's um, an old man playing on an old saloon piano that is just beautiful. Uh, there's um, there's a song that Dave and Tay play on the piano. Dave's, which is in the credits, says Dave's song written and performed by Tay Strathairn. Aww. And and that song is just lovely. All the music, there are so many musical moments. The way that music mm-hmm. is used in this film, the way that poetry is used in this film um, in one particular moment. Mm-hmm is great and yeah uh, this this movie is it's it's pretty transcendent cinema and yeah. and i understand that if you rejected this film for it if like they're like um I was talking with an amazon worker who just hated this movie because of how it didn't delve into how amazon was abusing mm-hmm. um their workforce and and i get that that's not what Chloe Zhao is doing here. Um, that's not that's not her focus. And I also understand where the Amazon worker is coming from. Yeah, I guess. And I think I totally understand that too. I think that you know two things can be true at once, and it can be true that Amazon is an abusive and awful place to work, and that it should be paying its workers more. And it can also be true that a lot of people depend on this job in order to you know keep their keep their livelihoods going and you Mm. know those two things do not have to be mutually exclusive and i think you can have not a dissonance but you can like you can know amazon is evil and also like be happy that fern is getting a paycheck for them to me like that Mm -hmm. that's sort of like how i feel about it where it's kind of like and also i mean yeah like you said like i get why that amazon worker you know, that's someone who has direct experience with it. And I can understand why they might be offended. But I think that if you haven't relied on a paycheck, you know, like if you haven't like been on your last $10, I think you kind of have to shut up. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's like, you kind of have to be like, oh, you're like, that's where like, I think, I mean, and this is a bigger issue with film criticism is like, oh, you went to, you know, you majored in English at Northwestern and now you, you know, make money writing film reviews. Like, okay, well, then maybe you're not the one who to talk about, you know, how Amazon was portrayed in this movie about migrant workers. Maybe you're not, sure. maybe you're not the person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I understand both sides of that argument. I film that, I, I, I think the film succeeds regardless i agree Um, i agree and in just being a very this is a very human story and we're Mm -hmm. just going to focus on these people and we're going to give them the dignity of not focusing on this is how much you're struggling we're gonna the struggles will be there they will be in the film because you are struggling Mm -hmm. but we're going to focus on your humanity and your your small moments of of thriving and of joy yeah and yeah and that's that's what this film is for, yeah for me and it's it's beautiful uh shout out to reptile gardens which makes an appearance in this film which my my grandparents uh before is that when she's away, holding uh the snake, the snake and, the, and alligator. the alligator so yeah so that's that's a pretty big deal in south dakota mm-hmm. um and uh like wall drug i used to go there all the time with my grandparents they used to live in pierce south dakota um anyway and so that was like Whenever I see, because of me being like 
where like I rarely ever see things that I can that I recognize in a movie. Like I'm not from LA, I'm not from New York. I don't I don't get that very often. So when Reptile Gardens appeared on the screen, I like nearly shouted. Yeah. It's like oh my word. And yeah. anyway, so that that was that was cool. Um so why don't we get to our quantified vibe checks? Let's go in backwards. So let's start with Nomadland and then go back to Little Big Women. So what is your quantified vibe check for Nomadland? Um I'm going to give it um, two cup of noodles out of w- one big box of animal crackers. Okay. Uh, for me, I'm going to be giving Nomadland um, one uh, daughter's birthday party in in a in an RV park out of uh, eight uh, father son bonding songs played mm. on the piano. Nice. Uh, uh, for preparations to be together for an unknown period of time. I'm going to give this... Um, I'm going to give it uh, one 640 stereo out of um, three American literature, not nonfiction book deals. Mm. Uh, or not I'm science, gonna, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give... Uh, preparation to be together for an unknown period of time seriously amazing title mm-hmm. uh, i love long titles for movies um when they when they actually work um and they're not just long to be for the sake of it um i'm gonna give it uh three steps backwards while staring at your question mark lover's eye mm-hmm. um out of eight Maybe sex scenes with yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so that that's what I'll give. Nice. That. And then for Little Big Women, I'm gonna give it um, two shrimp rolls out of five fresh lobsters. All right. And then I'm going to uh, give Little Big Women um, ten Xie uh, Ying Swans, uh, who is just let's be honest, is as gorgeous as Natasha Stork. Oh, hundred. Um, she's, she's something. She, um, she it, it was, it's hard. Cause then I felt bad. Cause I'm like, Oh, she has cancer. <laughs> I shouldn't be thinking about how hot she is, but, but she's uh, really of, hot. 10 of her, 10 of her dead eye stares, mm-hmm. um, out of 10, uh, uh, limo karaoke songs. Nice. Nice. Um, all right. And that's, that's it for the main reviews. Uh, let's hop into our, uh, uh, recommendations from the margins. Yeah, so I'm going to recommend a TV show, okay? Oh, ooh. So, and I say it's from the margins because I don't think enough people know about it. Dickinson on Apple TV Plus. Oh, yeah. It is one of (laughs) the- It's amazing. It is one of the greatest shows on, you know, quote unquote television right now. Um, If you have an iPhone or a MacBook and you click on the Apple TV Plus app and you haven't before, they will probably give you a year free. (laughs) <laughs> and use that to watch both se- the second season of Dickinson wrapped up just this past Friday. Um, and one of the best season finales of a show I've ever seen. Um, and it is I've only great. seen the first episode of the second season. So well, well, watch all of it. Um, it's Haley know, Steinfeld as Emily Dickinson. You got, um, you know, Jane Krakowski as uh, Emily Dickinson's mom. You have uh, Ella Hunt, gorgeous Ella Hunt as Sue Gilbert. There's some bit parts from Nick Kroll, Wiz Khalifa. 
uh, Jason Manzukis, John Mulaney. There's an ama- yeah, okay. I was gonna say it's like there's a um, there's, the person who cameos is Henry David Thoreau. Mm-hmm. Blew John my Mulaney. mind. <laughs> um, yeah. Ao Itabiri is hilarious, and she's in uh, heavily featured in the second season, and she is a is a writer on the second season, and she's okay. one of the most talented writers in comedy right now. She, she you may other people may know her from uh, she recently took over as Missy on Big Mouth and is a writer for Big Mouth. Um, okay. So she's awesome. The whole show is awesome. Uh, it has also some of the one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard. Um, yeah. So it's the the, it's the stick ep- with with Dickinson show. is that there's a lot of anachronisms. People talk in slang like they mm-hmm. do today. Um, we hear modern pop music like in the in the pilot. Uh, Death, who is played by Wiz uh, Khalifa is in his carriage uh listening to Billie Eilish. Like mm-hmm. that's like it's it's it rocks. It's, it's an awesome I, show. It, yeah, it's not going to be for everyone, I understand. But yeah, but Alina he, Smith has created something very special. I'm yeah. very into it. Yeah. Um, and it's so, a yeah. very sexy show. It's great. Yeah, I love it. So please uh if you can definitely uh yeah, I I showed someone recently. I was like you definitely they were like, "Oh, I don't have Apple TV Plus." And I was like, "Click on your iPhone right now." click have you ever clicked on the app before and she was like no and i was like click on it right now you have apple tv plus and i gave her apple tv plus for a year so that is my yeah. recommendation um please watch it it yeah no it's 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 something it's something special it also mm-hmm. features uh some of the final uh, uh directorial works by the late lynn shelton yes very um, true was, very uh, true um in the first season mm-hmm. um but yeah, um, all right. My recommendation for The Margins is a film that premiered on my 20th birthday this past Tuesday. Um, happy happy is, belated. Yeah, um, I'm officially, uh, I'm no longer a teenager. Welcome to your 20s. <laughs> it's super fun. Yeah, I already regret everything from the mm-hmm. last thing. No, I <laughs> um, but, um, and it's from the director of one of uh, my favorite films from last year, and it is Isabel Sandoval's Shangri-La, and it Ooh. is the 21st installment in the Miu Miu uh, Women's Tales series, which is, Miu Miu is the fashion company, and what they, they did starting like, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, 10, 10, 12 years ago, is they basically have been inviting women to direct short films that somehow use their clothing. And so we've gotten stuff from Ava DuVernay and we've got stuff from uh, uh, Lynn Ramsey. One of my favorite documentaries of all time is Lynn Ramsey's uh, documentary short Bridget about a photographer. And the newest one is Isabel Sandoval's uh, short Shangri-La, which is about a um, a Philippine woman, uh, Filipina woman in the Great Depression. Um, being very horny and it's there's been Sick. a lot of going around on t- Isabel Sandoval is bringing horny cinema back and I love and horny everyone cinema. is here for it um, but yeah it's it's a 10 minute short go watch it's on YouTube go mm-hmm. watch it it's it's sensual it's it's beautiful and yeah Isabel Sandoval uh, 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 you're you're I'm, I'm I'm just a really big fan mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah it's i'm 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 really wanting it's one of the podcasts that i want to do is i want to do a podcast of where just good going you need through more. all of the Mew Mew women's tales yeah, i know need, i need more i don't i don't have it i came back from this from this two week you took break a two week to break do... one month in baby we gotta slow down we gotta slow yeah. down <laughs> uh to be fair the break was because a lot of family stuff sure fair enough fair enough around. fair enough but 
but like yeah let's wrap do a up one of your podcast yeah i want to do a Mew Mew women's tale podcast and I we'll wrap do up podcast. we'll wrap up some of your other series and then we'll get started I on the florida podcast finally at some point i want that's what yeah my... after you wrap up the eight other series you've started i only have five going um that's too that's, anyway that's four yeah, too many so... in my book but whatever you, you know what this this is I enjoyed having something to work on every day. You know, I've I've always got Fair a enough. podcast to edit or a podcast to prepare for, and it's great. I I have a ball doing it. Well, there you go. Uh, so uh, with that, uh, uh, next week um, on on Fresh of the Margins, as voted on by our patrons, uh, we'll be watching. It's on HBO Max. Uh, the uh, thriller mystery. I'm not totally sure. Uh, drama Lupe which is about a uh, Cuban immigrant trans woman uh, searching for a mis- missing sister in NYC's underground sex industry. So I'm sure it'll be a blast. I'm sure it's uh, going to be super light and chill. Yeah. Uh, but with that, uh, Anna, why don't you plug yourself? Yep. Um, as always, uh, my podcast, Oh No with Anna Campion. Uh, we're on all streaming services at Oh No the Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We have recently signed with Daydreamer Media. So if Woo! you, yay. So we're, uh, we're, we're on their website too. They have some other great podcasts on there. Um, and then me personally, I'm at, I am the champion on Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, I'm writing for uh, movie babble still. I, uh, yeah. this, this past week I, I got to write about Barb and Stargo to Vista Del Mar, which is my secondary, mm-hmm. uh, recommendation from the margins. It's so funny. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you're, you know, if you're interested in reading and hearing more of, uh, my thoughts independent of these disagreements, uh, then please go check those out. Independent of my disagreements. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, speaking of movie babble, uh, I got two new articles out on there that I was ma- managed to write and finish, um, during my break. Um, one was, uh, me sticking my tongue out at the awards season by just mm-hmm. like, actually, these are the movies that we should be talking about. Mm-hmm. And so stuff like Lingua Franca and The Vast of Night and all, and all of these movies that people have already forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I did that. That's my nice big 3,100 word article that I did. And then I countered that with another article that was going to, that was almost as long which was me eviscerating Malcolm and Marie, mm. like every bit and piece of that movie, just tearing it to shreds. And then I realized, you know what? Other people have done this better. And so my entire article is 400 words long and 300 of those words is a, a very thorough craft uh, mac and cheese recipe. And because that was that was really what got me the most angry about that movie right. was the way it mishandled craft mac and cheese. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you could check those out. I'm on Twitter at um, Letterbox at Blue Gray Closet. Um, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash screensmargins, um, where we've got, in addition to the free podcast, our weekly Wiseman and Fresh from the Margins, we have a Lucrecia Martel podcast. We got a Rainer Werner Fassbender podcast, and we uh, just uh, this morning debuted, uh, as of recording, uh, a, a new episode of our Dorothy Arzner podcast. And uh, I'll just say that there are other bonus stuff coming in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, eventually I am going to start more podcasts, but I've got some got some special stuff coming up. Wrap uh, one series before you start a new podcast. I'm begging you. I'm begging you to wrap <laughs> one series. Well, the thing is, is is my podcasts are going through the filmographies, filmographies of people. And I, I know. can't start, start a new series. Like, I'm going to be with Fassbinder and Wiseman for a 
bit. <laughs> yeah, and finish one of those before you start the next one. Anyway, but uh, baby, uh, you're gonna you're. I don't. I don't want you to burn out. <laughs> You gotta be nice I, to hey, yourself. Hey, I'm in my 20s now. I'm reckless. Mm. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, uh, that, that, that's pretty much it for Fresh from the Margins. Uh, we know that there's a pull these days when it comes to films to focus only on the big and mainstream stuff. So thank you for spending time here with us today here on the margins. Good night. Uh-huh.